welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear stories of someone brave enough to bear it all. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Hello and welcome to the Naked Podcaster. I'm so excited to be here like I always am, but this is going to be super fun and I know we're talking about sex right away. If this podcast makes a difference in your life, hit subscribe and leave a review. Podcasters really get off on that. Thank you very much. Miranda O, you are here with me. And you are... Hey. You're calling me from your vacation in Mexico? Sure am. Can you see the tropics behind me? Yeah. And you know what happened to me today? We had a two-hour school delay because the roads were so snowy and icy. So (laughs) I'm super jealous. Your website is MirandaO.com. And you have two books out, a third that may be released sometime right around this podcast, but uh, basically in the February-ish, the beginning of 2020. Yipper. Now I got- Third time's a charm. (laughs) Oh, shoot. That means I have to write more. Okay. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) So I got both of your books and I started reading the first one. I'm 30% through. And I can tell you that in that first 30%, I wanted to go have car sex. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Oh my God. That just made my day. I mean, I think everybody should do it. Yeah. You know, like I was going to say at least once, but like more than once. Like once happens and you're like fumbling over the gear shift and the music's not quite right and you're not in the right situation. So it's like the second, third time, you have that time to like set the precedent properly and actually enjoy it. Well, I have to say we do date night and we have kids at home. So when you become a parent, you have to be quiet all the time. Like you can't be super spontaneous. I'm like, I want to have sex right now, but I can go cook dinner. You know, like there's no more spontaneity. So we've been on dates and I'm like, pull over. I don't care. I'm going right back to high school car sex because mm-hmm. that's when you have to get it in. <laughs> so you do, you do, you, hey, a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. <laughs> right? So tell me about the books. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll start with chin up, tits out. So chin up, chest out, tits out, you know, head back, shoulders back, whatever you want to call it. It's those two little gestures that we do to make ourselves feel a little bit better. So um, this this series follows a young woman that we meet right out of high school who is driven, organized, and um, then falls in, lo- falls in love with a boy with an accent. It's yeah. always the accent. It's always the accent. And the cute ass, but like it was first right, the right. accent. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> Side note, my mom and I were uh, out watching a show the other day at the resort and all the dancers were dancing. It was a, the pool show. And I'm like, wow, look at that guy's bum. Oh, did you see that bum? She's like, do you have a thing? I'm like, yep, I got a thing. Okay, got a thing. back to the books. <laughs> yes. Cute accents, cute bums. Um, so we, she meets a boy, she falls in love with that boy, and that boy is all the way from South Africa, so, and she's Canadian. Um, so they kind of go into this long distance, tumultuous, hot, heated, passion-fueled 
immigration battle for years and then they finally get him into the country and it's supposed to be happily ever after and then yet life slaps them in a face with a really crappy diagnosis and a lot of really unhappy things that include doctors and hospitals and tough decisions tough conversations and um, mental illness and then the third book is kind of how does one come out of that you know how does hadley our main character go from a single 18 year old person to falling in love getting married expecting the white picket fence the family all that jazz and then is left by herself at the end of it and has to figure out how to you know get through this all and it it my books come from things that have happened in my life and happened in people in my life their their lives and it turned into this raw real story that i wanted to relate with people cuz i mean fairy tales are fairy tales and romance is romance but as you know like girls got to do what girls got to do like mm -hmm. sometimes like life car sex is a choice and sometimes you know it's not pretty but <laughs> you still gotta do it <laughs> and, well um, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know like who cares if you didn't shave your legs that day or whatever the situation is and so the books cover off heavy topics and that was that is life life is heavy but it's our choices as human beings to be kind show love and to be positive if we don't want to be positive it will literally make us an unhappy ugly person from the inside out mm -hmm. if we choose to chin up to toe and be kind to be happy to ourselves and to others then we get abundance and back back right yeah. so that's the whole messaging in the book but i mean like i encourage alcoholic beverages you want to be naked be naked when you read the book like it's one of those things where i think you put you start it and it's really tough to put it down or at least that's what people tell me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah well, I, I I it. it was tough for me to stop <laughs> well that's great and you use your own per so it's fiction mm -hmm. but with a caveat that a lot of it is based on some real life yeah, I stuff. mean, like, I'm a chick from the prairies in Canada. If I were to slap nonfiction and it say it's a biography, like, who's going to pick that up? I don't know. Like, maybe if I was, like, Oprah or, or somebody that had right. some sort of name for myself prior to writing the book, but I didn't. Like, I work in corporate. I grew up playing sports. I, I, I was born and raised in the same small city that I, I've always lived in. So mm -hmm. outside of there, I, I'm just an average human being. So fiction, changing the names of everybody, twisting yep. it or refining it. <laughs> and um putting it out on paper so yeah it was it was a, a healing process for for me to go through so i used yeah. i used kind of an internal girl you gotta sort your stuff out yeah. and it turned into three novels so that's how that happened <laughs> isn't that nuts and then yeah. you got because it's fiction you got to clean up the messy parts if you wanted to or make the messy parts more of a disaster or take your experience plus other people's experience and kind of pour it all into this one person right and our situation exactly, exactly. like two of my best friends one of them is half japanese half british and the other one is a tall ukrainian 
skinny gay dude and their personality traits are one human in my third book and they're like how did you do that I'm like don't ask just read it that's (laughs) awesome complete opposite human beings physically but I and even like mentally but I took all of that and Mm -hmm. and combined them into one personality and they loved it yeah oh yeah they loved it they like amazed they're so happy that they actually wrote about them (laughs) oh good well I mean we we all kind of would be even if I was the hot mess I'd still I'd be like but I'm that hot mess that was all right exactly men that date me they're like please don't write about me I'm like oh please now that you said that I'm never gonna write about you it's the ones that are like oh you know I'll just be me and they get a whole chapter because right. they're them and they're not forcing me to do something that I do or do not want to do. Like, don't tell me what I can't do. Right. Two dates with you. <laughs> okay, so can we do another series on dates? Oh, just wait till you get to the third book, girl. Oh. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. Like, okay. after once upon a time I was married and then I wasn't. Um, long story. Had to do with a lot of mental illness, a lot of addiction, a lot of cancer, um, and and then woof, magically he was gone. Um, so figuring out how to date after that, I was my parents called me the rapid first daters because it was like rapid fire. What you doing today? Three dates, breakfast, lunch, and supper. <laughs> I got. I'm all first dates. Yes. <laughs> Miranda calls dating menu menu prep. <laughs> What are you doing? I'm meal planning. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, meal planning. 150% meal planning. Like, you got to taste test it all. And, but I have to say, though, over the years of, of doing this rapid fire dating and experiencing what I do and what I don't like, mm-hmm. I remember after this whole fiasco, like this big loss happened in my life, I was sitting in my therapist's office and he said, go experience new things. Fill your mind up with new memories mm-hmm. because then the old memories will dissipate and you'll remember the good things. You won't remember the yeah. bad things because, you know, you've got to move forward in life. And I was like, all right, let's do this. So you start to, again, rapid fire date, but you learn so much about different humans and characteristics and qualities and traits. And it's like, if you stick with the same kind of person forever, how do you know what you like and what you don't like? This is all you know. And I grew up very blessed. My family is a huge and close and wonderful. So that was all I knew. Then you go yeah. into a relationship where their family is not the same. Then you start to experience, oh my gosh, like not all families are like this. And, you know, not all people deal with trauma the same way. And not all people deal with joy the same way. And how do you, how, do, how does me, how do I react to that? How do you, how do you react to somebody that doesn't react to grief in a similar way or excitement in a similar way? If I'm excited, I'm jumping, I'm sweaty, I want to eat, like I'm loud, there's zero volume control. And then some people are like, just just let me be, what's wrong with you? (laughs) So it's, it's a huge overall learning curve on just how to be a better human and how to communicate with different types of people, which hopefully I become a better human out of. My best friend 
was married for 25 years. Now we're in our forties. Okay. So she was married for 25 years and then got a divorce. And we had that come to Jesus conversation. Cause like you've had two kids since you were married, you've only had sex with the same person for 25 years. And all of a sudden you, and, and yes, it was dysfunctional and yes, it ended. And yes, that was all good, but oh my God, how do you move forward? So I think, yeah, it's it and it's a different world than it was this has been a while now so like 30 years ago we didn't have we couldn't tinder swipe no and it's totally different and i told her treat life like baskin robbins there's like 31 flavors you should try them all try them all try them all Oh, like do what's, what's, the, what's the harm you t you don't have to like get a whole a whole large bowl you get the kitty scoop of it. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, those three dates are meticulously planned. And right. like, I've come to the point where I'm like, okay, like this is, you're on my first date. We're, we're, you know, both of us are here. We're adults. We know what we're doing. We both know that there's other people pinging us on our cell phones right, right. now. Are you going to pay attention to me? Yes or no? If no, well, there's no second date. You, you know, and if you are paying attention to me and I have a little butterfly in my stomach, then maybe there will be a second date. But there's been a lot of times where I'm like, oh, I'm dead inside. This person's just not what I wanted. But hey, they're a really nice human being. Right. And I, I've made friends from around the world doing that. <laughs> and and I love it. Plus, it adds more stories for my series. <laughs> well, that, that part's true too. But I, I mean, geez, the dating thing, I would I would not be ecstatic to do it again. No, uh, it's, no. it's tough. It's a different it, world. It is. It's a different world because I said this... The sexual spectrum is so broad and so open. Mm -hmm. And then you add dating apps to the game and dating apps uh, simply allow, it gives everybody a platform to let their freak flag fly mm -hmm. and to search for whatever they want to, whether that's a marriage, whether that's a best friend, whether that's a second person or a third person in their life, or whether it's, you know, like I've had some guy ask me if, if I could pee on him. Okay. And I was like, uh, what? Well, I could, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm gonna. Toilet or a bush, like those are the two places, OM shower <laughs> and the ocean. So four places I pee. Maybe if you got stung by a jellyfish, I could. But I'm like, <laughs> I don't even know what your first name is. There's that or there's the uh, sugar daddy. Like, oh, how do you hey, feel about that? Are you looking for a sugar daddy? I'll pay for your expenses. And my comments back is, uh, can you pay off my debt with no strings attached? <laughs> no answer after that. I'm like, oh, okay, well, fine. What did you want? You wanted to pay for nice things. I'm like, I got nice things. I don't need a man to buy nice things for me. <laughs> that, so there are certain things that people say to you in your life that change your perspective, right? So I'll, I'm going to share one with you and we're going to, we can go off of that. I had a friend say, have you had sex with somebody before? Like you go on a date, you have sex and you're like, I would love that 10 minutes of my life back. Like it wasn't, it was not what you were thinking it was going to be. And I'm like, oh God, yes. She goes, imagine at the very least you got paid for it. And I was like, <laughs> best way to promote prostitution I have ever heard. <laughs> I'm like, I want to be a prostitute now. You are right. I like sex and I want it. At least I got paid. 
right? And at least, like, and you take it and you're like, okay, as long as it's like a 10 minute short span <laughs> with an end time. Yeah, like, I need an alarm to go off and give you a five minute warning, man. Like, finish up, do your business, come on, and then, you know. So the sugar daddy, that's what triggered that. Yeah, because I mean, come on, you know, there are, you can spin things any way that they're like, you're like, oh, that's actually an excellent idea. So what was completely nauseating to me five seconds ago, I'm now embracing wholeheartedly. Exactly, exactly. Right. I, I was like considering, I'm like, well, hey, okay. She's like, well, I'll give you a weekly allowance. So I'm like, hmm, I wonder how much of that weekly allowance I could get. And like, you split it in half. 50% for fun things, and then 50% for, like, savings or debt payments. <laughs> it's kind but of yeah, clear end goal in mind. <laughs> like, how right. long do you want to be my sugar daddy for? Right, right, Maybe right. A year? I don't know. Like, a year is too long. That's too it's much too long. Maybe, like, no, it has to be under six months, definitely. You don't <laughs> want to commit that long. No. no. Now, <laughs> but no, it is amazing. There's so many different appetites out there now. Like you said, they might be looking for a second or a third person, or like the sexual orientation has changed so much. And you know, I think you can not experience some things and be okay. Not you don't have to try every single flavor. No, no. But yeah, it's it's interesting what's out there and how you can change how you think about things to make it more palatable, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had, I have a very hippy dippy friend. He's like six foot four and he looks like Jesus. He hasn't cut his hair in years. It's down to here. His beard is down to there. Um, and he does yoga with me. I grew up with him and we had a conversation about content and consciousness around that content and consciousness. So he's like, you can like something or not like something. It's that immediate, that immediate feeling that we get he's like but it's the ability to assess that feeling be open to understanding and then then making a decision do I like it or not like it because immediately right. we know right like you meet a person you're like mm, mm -mm. Oh, mm -mm. or oh yeah it could be right or it could be wrong that initial feeling but we still always have that feeling inside of us as soon as we see something or somebody new mm -hmm. and when you start to explore that a little bit further, then you can actually make this educated or fully assessed decision whether you like it or not. And it's like, nobody's ever asked me to pee on them. I, <laughs> I, can, I can assess that I don't like that thought right now, but like maybe if the person was super communicative and we clicked in every other way, like, I don't know. I still think that. that that's a great example though. That's a great example because when you see it through their lens, yeah, it might look a little bit different, or you might be more open to doing it just because of the feeling that they get from it, and you put exactly. the put your feeling to the side. So that's, I mean, what a growing experience, and you got to write about so much of this stuff and make some up and add some in, and yeah, yeah, it it's uh it's been a really wild five years. I uh, kind of putting this idea or coming up with this idea um, and then putting it to paper. And when I finally got this third book ready and sent out to my publisher, it was like, whoa, like you actually did this. And yeah. uh, my publicist was like, so what are you going to do next? And I'm like, oh, you mean I got to do more? <laughs> <laughs> there's some, there's so a next? <laughs> yeah, there's a next. I'm like, I thought we just kept doing interviews and like the books lived on forever. And he's like, no. It doesn't work that 
you're like, no. you gotta continue to pump stuff out. I'm like, okay, I guess I gotta go live again. And he's just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back in time into your real life story. You were born in yeah. Canada. So yeah. I've read just enough of the book. Do you have one brother? One brother, yes. Okay, so he's that a little younger than me. Okay, uh, he's okay. two years younger than me. He's getting married in August, um, and his partner Jeffrey is like the big brother I never had. So now okay. I have a little brother, and I have an older brother, and then my mom and dad and my dog. Okay, so great family. That's really exceptional. How fun! And you guys are very yeah. close. Very close. Okay. Like. like you have a booger in your nose. You want me to pick it out for you kind of close. Yeah, no, I like that. But I wouldn't That's want it good. any other way though. You know, it's, it's, it's fantastic. I'm here in Mexico with my mom and we talk to my dad every day and like, it's, it's absolutely fine. We have a, a newly married or honeymoon banner on our door. Cause we got a suite at our suite. So we're, awesome. we're milking that. Although we look like sisters. So People are not believing it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I did that once at a strip club. Yeah, I pretended my mother-in-law was my lesbian lover. It was really fun. It was yes. really fun. Yes. You just have to kind of Whenever take things in the club, I always latch on to my girlfriend. I'm like, this, she's mine. Yeah. She's, she's mine. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> my daughter used to dance at this club where they were set. You couldn't touch them. They were set aside. They were there to get the crowd riled up. And I would go to this bar, this club, to watch her dance. She's a, a, an exceptional dancer, right? Yeah. And so if I got hit on by a woman, I'd be like, actually, that one's mine. <laughs> like, literally, I made her. Like, she's my daughter. But, you you know, they didn't have to know that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going home with her tonight. <laughs> so it's all in the presentation, right? It is. It's the delivery, 150%. Yes. Like, you don't have to say anything else because you are speaking truth. And I am. You can just take it however they want to take it. I have no control over that. So, no. see, I love that you're milking the, do the honeymoon suite. I'm all about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got a massage yesterday in a little couple's room. <laughs> I mean, we were on separate beds. But, like, still, we were in a couple's room. They're like, do you want to be in separate rooms? And we looked at each other and like why we sleep in the same bed like yeah. it's totally fine <laughs> whatever so tell me about getting uh, graduating high school were you the entrepreneur i want to go into like you yeah. miranda's story so talk to me about yeah. that and was mom yeah so mom and dad they own their own agency they've uh they're they're reps between distributor and retailers so okay. they travel throughout manitoba and saskatchewan so prairies within canada um, and they do a bunch of stuff from sporting goods to promotional wear. So that's what I grew up in was a yep. house full of samples and weekends where we would have to organize things in the order of the catalog so they can show it to their clients during the week. Um, but that turned into, I bought my first business when I turned 18 and it was a temporary tattoo business. Yes. Okay. Um, Oh, it was so much fun. Uh, so I was pretty much a carny at 18, right yeah. out of high school. I would go from festival to festival, pop up my 10-foot tent, or 10-foot by 10-foot tent, and uh, park there and spray fake tattoos all over people's bodies. And it was the 
funnest time. My mom and I worked together. We had a couple of girls come in as staff. My, my father, my grandma, her mom would come in and help clean stencils and sterilize them and make sure everybody pays with her grandma winger, wiggle, wiggle figure. Right. Um, right. And it just, we would, um, we would work for 16 hours daily all summer long like it was absolutely insane but it paid for my college it paid for my way out to south africa multiple times i didn't have to work when i was in college because that six weeks in the summer i would make as much money as wow. i needed to the business would make money my mom was like well this is just fun for me right yeah. um but again like it's hard work like you're working for 16 hours a day you're in the element um and you're in people's businesses you know like people want to they want tattoos pretty much on 98 percent of their body you know the the darker it gets the lower the pants goes, you know, like, yeah. just, and I'm a whole, I'm going to have to double rubber glove myself before I touch you there. And that's a $50 deductible. Thank you very much. <laughs> They're like, it's a $20 tattoo. I'm like, you have a hairy ass. Do you want me to touch that? Like, I'm not sleeping. I don't want to touch that. She can touch it. She's married to you, but I'm not. I want right. rubber gloves and a $50 deductible. <laughs> and it worked. Like, nine and a half times out of ten it worked they would just i'm like you just take it <laughs> that hairy ass is looking more palatable <laughs> yeah. yeah with a three feet away from my, as long as i don't have to get that ass closer than this to me and my face like did you eat beans today because like if you did get that out before you come to my booth <laughs> right but you were raised in an entrepreneurial mindset and a hardworking mindset. So that part, although that's those 16 hour days working at festivals like that is insane. That's exhausting. It's exhausting. That six yeah. weeks you have, you've probably worked like four months in that six weeks, you know? And it, it totally, because we both like, obviously my mom had her job and her, her business to take care of. And I was working with the Canadian Red Cross at that point. Um, so it was, I would work from eight to five, then not even go home, just drive straight to the exhibition, wherever that was, and then go work until one, two o'clock in the morning. Then you got to go home. You got to clean everything. You got to count all the money. You got to get everything ready for tomorrow. Shower because you're absolutely disgusting. Like you, I, I blow yeah. my nose and it comes out rainbows um because the paint is so thin in the air that you just yeah. inhale it yeah and and then you're wired so it's like three o'clock in the morning by the time you finally fall asleep and then seven o'clock the alarm goes off again and it was like like that six weeks it was like that for um probably five years six years it was it was a while and then after um my ex-husband was diagnosed with cancer and mental illness and a whole bunch of stuff being he was a carny i actually met him at the festival okay um so when he when we were no longer anymore my mom and i were like we gotta go yeah let's jump into like, that like, yeah it was, oh you want to dive into oh that? yeah you I, met him when, and got married when you were 20 20 isn't yes. that 
hilarious not really it was uh the same age that my mom and dad well that my mom was when she married my dad and they're still happily married so i was really connected to that moving into my marriage um i fell in love with a boy from south africa with a cute accent and a nice ass (laughs) and um we worked really hard to get him here and when we finally did again it was like this really big overwhelmingly rush of excitement just to be crashed down within six months of him moving here he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma so cancer of the lymphatic system and as soon as he got that diagnosis it was like I'm dead I'm a dead man I was like the doctor just finished saying if you're gonna get cancer this is the kind of cancer you want to get because it's treatable And he was like, "Mm, I'm a dead man. And at that moment, the man that I married and the man that I fell in love with died. And we had about 13 months of endless treatment, endless medicines and endless roadblocks. He lost his job, I lost my job. So we lost our house. We moved in with my parents, which for any man would be very difficult for African men losing that independence was huge for him, which made him pull back even more. Then he had a stem cell transplant because there was absolutely nothing left for us to do. And that essentially killed off any living thing that was left of my husband. He came out of the hospital six weeks later I can't even remember he was in isolation for most of it um because he was like he could have killed all the other patients on the ward because he got he caught a respiratory virus during this so he was literally locked in a room at the back of the ward only saw one to two nurses a day didn't want to see me I tried he it was not pretty when I tried so when he came out he was completely a different person like not even the same in a minuscule and I can't honestly I can't even remember mere weeks later um he overdosed on sleeping pills if I can remember correctly didn't sleep for about seven days it kind of caused ricochet insomnia so he went delusional he was violent he locked himself in a bedroom for a few days uh so I went to the doctor and I said help me what do I do Yeah. She gave me two options. Call the police, get him into the back of the cop car, take him to the hospital for a psych evaluation. Or here's an antipsychotic drug, just a pill, no package, just a pill. Give him this. He's an addict, so he'll take it. And drug him. And when he's unconscious, get mom and dad and you into the car, get him to the hospital and get him into a psych ward. Holy that, that was my two options. I was 23 years old and I convinced myself that drugging my husband would be the easier way to deal with it. I came home, he had a backpack and a flight ticket and gave me an ultimatum to drive him to the airport or he would take a cab. When I asked where he was going, he said, pretty much none of your business. You're not coming with me and there's no changing my mind. And so I drove him to the airport and then he was gone. And that was the last time I saw him. So that, that's that story wrapped up in one Oh my nutshell. God. But I mean, holy cow, it took you like, it was four years. It was a lot of time and effort for the immigration to get him there, the whole love story. And then 
Yeah, you don't expect a cancer diagnosis, but more than that, or worse than that, was everything surrounding the cancer diagnosis. Yeah, it was it was shocking. Like, I, I remember. I don't think it settled. It didn't settle for like a week. It didn't settle that he was gone, or that I didn't realize that he was gone. It was just oh, well, he's temporarily gone. Like I've lived with him temporarily gone for so long. What's yeah. another another one? And then I couldn't reach him for a week. So I was like, well, that's unlike normal. So when I finally was able to track him down after calling a series of family and friends, I got attitude as to why are you calling me? And so I snapped and I had this knee jerk reaction and I wasn't nice. And I was like, if you're going to be like this, don't come home. I don't want to be with you. You're not my husband. This is, we're done. And he's like, okay, so when I'm, I'm going to go walk in the bush and when I die, it's your fault. And he hung up the phone. And that was my parents' 25th wedding anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when this happened at 6am, I was screaming on the phone again, living with my parents now because he had just left and uh, they came in, uh, obviously did what the supportive parents do say all the right things, hug me tight. I sobbed, they sobbed. And then it was like, oh my God, it's your anniversary, which made the guilt just tsunami over me, which like, and then at that point it was like, okay, so marriage is over, shit. But now I have all of this mess to clean up. I have 17 months of cancer debt, years of immigration debt, all the family and friends that put effort into our wedding and, and helped us through that. Like there was all this guilt and duty that I was left holding the bag with, which completely destroyed me for probably three months before I was able to dig myself out to about, you know, here Mm -hmm. and breathe again. And then finally, you know, that was, 2013 when he left so we're in 2020 now um I would say within the last year I finally have regained the confidence the balance the guilt is completely gone thank god because that was really tough to carry for that long and it's like how do you well don't feel guilty I'm sorry I can't just flick a switch and turn it off right (laughs) yeah and there was a lot building up and into this that went with this exactly and that's where writing really came to understanding myself through it Mm -hmm. and understanding that when people love you they're going to do things and they don't care the outcome they just want to do things for you because they love you and that was really what I saw in my parents was I knew when I went to South Africa, I was tough on them. I knew when I married somebody that they didn't really know that I was tough on them. I knew when I brought them, my, my dying husband into my, their home, it was tough. But at the end of the day, they're like, man, we just did it because we love you. We want you happy. We didn't like shit. The marriage ended. You're still alive. That's all we really care about. And now we're going to do whatever we can to make you happy and come through this. So, you know, going through that guilt and learning that when people love you, it doesn't matter what the outcome is. It's being there on the journey with them. Right. Which is huge. And how did you end up getting divorced? He's in, he's somewhere, he's blaming his death on you. Yes. You even get to give him the anti, the psychotic drug. Like, 
what kind yeah. of a letdown at this point. <laughs> I know, I know, you know, it's a, it is a very morbid thought, but it has crossed my mind numerous times. And I do say it out loud sometimes, but it might've been easier if he died versus choosing to leave me. Because a lot of people who fight the cancer fight, fight it positively and fight it strong. Mm -hmm. And he didn't. And those people that fight it positively and fight it strong, some of them don't make it. And those are the people that deserve to make it. And so um, that was kind of, that was my realization. You did ask me a question and I veered off and I forgot. That's okay. How did you get, you got the divorce, you wrapped that up. Were you able to find him? Have you ever spoken to him again? Yes. So um, divorce, I had to, Canadian government states that I had to wait two years as a separation to make sure that we were for sure making the right decision. I'm like, hey, he's gone. <laughs> so I left it for two years, which was fine because I needed that time to mull over everything and process what actually had transpired in the first five years of my 20s. Like right. it was huge the amount of stuff that I had just gone through and experienced. Right, so I had yeah. to really sit in that to understand before I could move on. And then when I finally started to get um, into dealing with the lawyers and, and I'm figuring out how to get a divorce, it was a whole rigmarole because it's like, hey, well, where is he? I'm like, I don't really know. Like, I think he's in South Africa, but not a hundred percent. And, um, and it, most lawyers, seven of them to be correct, turned me down. Um, and they're like, we don't want to deal with you. And then I finally had a friend of a friend of a friend help me out and was like, okay, actually my mom's hairdresser is from South Africa and they are actually related to a process server. So like one of the ones that's like Jen Taylor. Yes. Yes. Um, so he's like, we'll hire that person. We'll get them served. And then your, your divorce is on the way. I said, okay. He's like, do you know where he lives? I'm like, no, (laughs) like I have no idea. Um, his parents had moved since he had moved up to Canada. Um, so had his grandmother where he was living at at a time. So I really had absolutely no idea. So I did some internet searching and found his friend who was a lawyer out there, their, their address. I'm like, this is the closest thing I can get to. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. even know. He's like, that's fine. I can't remember. It probably took me about six months or so to finalize the process. We attempted to serve him, but it was a failed attempt because they couldn't find him. The Canadian government deemed a, 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 a divorce easy peasy. Okay. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I am divorced in Canada. Apparently, I'm not divorced in South Africa. So how I know that is on my birthday time-ish, um, my birthday's in April, the end of April. Um, so anytime between mid April and mid May in the middle of the night, his time, my Facebook page will get a message from him because he's blocked on my personal page and it's gibberish. It doesn't make any sense. I miss you lots. I hate Canada. I love you. You're my queen. That place is vultures. I can't believe the way things like hot and cold and hot and cold and hot and cold and and it's been like that since well after he blamed his his bush death on me which obviously didn't happen um i think he was he we didn't converse there was nothing for 
a few months and then I was getting these big long messages essentially saying leave your life in Winnipeg drop everything that you have there and let me give you a kingdom in Africa and I was like oh god and it would be love 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 hate anger hate anger hate anger and all one message and I was seeing therapists at that time so I was printing it off and taking it and I was like am I crazy like is this normal behavior because I, like, I need to understand. He goes, no, that's not normal behavior. No. You need to cut this out of your life in order to move on. He's not coming back here. It's clear. He's not coming right. back. And you are not putting yourself in the situation to drop your life here and move out there with somebody who just did that to you. Right. So cut the strings. So that was, I, I cut the strings and I would say every year, once or twice, he'll send a message. I don't respond. It's a ghost that he's talking to maybe it mm -hmm. gives him peace of mind i don't i don't know cool if it gives you peace of mind to talk to me once a year great i see it i ignore it it doesn't phase me anymore it used to freeze me like i used yeah. to i i would freeze and then oh my god panic like he was he's at my front door no he's he's on the other side of the globe girl chill your beans but yeah used to really throw me into a tailspin now I'm just like man you gotta move on like you're the only one who's suffering here yeah no kidding okay so you decided to start writing about it and the series was born where did chin up tits out I mean I get the analogy like keep your head high keep your shoulders mm -hmm. back there, that I totally get all of that but how did you come up with that so it started off with a little positive, um, let's call it mantra that my parents used to tell my brother and I, and it was always chin up or hold your head high or hold your head back, like chin back and hold your shoulders back. And it was like, right. if you aren't confident mm -hmm. in something, whatever you do, if right. you do these two little moves, you look confident on the outside. So kind right. of like fake right. it until you make it, Right. And so that was kind of a, a saying or, or the, the messaging that we consistently got from our parents growing up. And then fast forward to like teenage years when the attitude and the spiciness starts to come in and like you start, the hormones come in and you're like, oh, look at me. Like I have curves. I've got boobs. Like this yeah. is great. And then, but of course we're super insecure with ourselves. Like all this stuff is coming out right. and we love it, but we don't know how to deal with it. We don't right. know how other people, we don't know how to take other people's reactions to there's, there's so much insecurity and so much inside of us going on. So, um, I, I was bucking for a compliment one day and I was like, mom, do I look good? Do I look good? And she's just like, "Ugh, just chin up, tits out, conquer your room and do you. <laughs> and I was like, All right. That's cool. And then she's like, Oh, that's, that's kind of funny. And it stuck. And then it was whenever there's a moment of like, <gasps> Oh gosh, like yeah. when you freak out, it's just you you do those two small movements. And the mm -hmm. cool thing is because when I started writing about this, I wanted to learn more about why. Like obviously it makes me look confident, but why does it make me feel confident if I consistently do it time after time after time? Because like these little movements in our bodies release the happy drugs in our brain which make us happier so it's like weird all the time 
That's awesome. Now, through the process of writing the books, you've had other things slam you a little. I mean, like life happens, right? Life happens. Mm -hmm. um, what happened around your 30th birthday? Oh, you've got to love that. So did you cry when you turned 30? Curious question. No. Ugh. No, I didn't. I was okay with that. I was having, I mean, my life was laid out much differently. I was married at 19. So yeah. um, I had kids and stuff. I actually ended up having a hysterectomy at 32. And that next year was harder. Plus someone said to me, like turning 30 or turning 40 is hard, but the next year you're in your 30s. Yeah. And that's yeah. like, oh God, now I'm in my 30s. That's worse, right? <laughs> So like, I was like, oh, so 30 is not that big of a deal, but next year, but no, I don't think, I think people get stressed about age because we have this idea of what we were supposed to do by then or exactly. where we were going to be, or mm -hmm. I thought it was going to look worse. Like I'm, I'll be 50 in 2020. It's amazing. Right. I, I, I like, saw your post. You're like, I just turned 49. I was like, mom, she's 49. Yeah. And I don't have plastic surgery. Yeah. <laughs> So I feel like because I've taken care of myself and I didn't know what anything looked like, it feels great. Yeah. So yeah. The, the number I started, I've did been detached from that number and I feel better than I did in my twenties because I was pregnant in my twenties. I was struggling uh, in my, I was yeah, having yeah. infertility surgeries and pregnancies. And mm -hmm. like, by the time I was 33, that was done. I had a hysterectomy. So I like yeah. felt great. Right. But you right. cried on your 30th birthday, right? I cried on my 30th birthday. So um, two years ago, June 2018, I ran half marathon with my pops. Yay! And it was absolutely amazing. We had so much fun doing it. We did a shot. We drank beer during the marathon. Yeah, People yeah. were passing beers out. And uh, the last kilometer, sorry, the last mile... I can speak um, kilometers. I'm a runner. I yeah. know, but it was actually the last mile. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it clearly, and my dad's like, what's that face for? And I was like, oh, it feels like my uterus is going to fall out of my vagina. And he was like, oh. oh. And I was like, what's your face for? And he's like, my Achilles hurts. I'm like, you want to train? <laughs> and, uh, and he was like, no. no, nobody wants to trade. No. And like, you have to get it. My dad, like my mom and I were, were, were a close family. Yeah. I don't like clothing. Neither does my mom. My dad was right. like, you have to wear clothing when you live with me because I can't tell your ass against your mother's. The only thing I can tell is that you two are height different, but when you sit down, I can't tell. So please put pants on. <laughs> I'm like, thanks dad. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was quite funny. So the, me telling him that my uterus was going to fall out of my vagina was not something out of the ordinary for him right. to hear out of out of my mouth or out of my mother's mouth. And so, and then like you, my mom got a hysterectomy at 30. She was done having kids and it was just yep. like, get it out. It's causing me trouble. Yep. Um, so that was just before my 30th. I would say about a year and a half before my 30th. And that pain that I was experiencing in my lower abdomen, my pelvis, increasingly got worse and worse and when I went to the doctors they're like you're fine maybe it's IBS maybe it's stress here's some antidepressants here's some anti-anxiety I'm like do I look depressed <laughs> do I look anxious and I said I'm depressed because you're not listening to me and I'm right. anxious because you're not hearing me like don't give me a pill to fix my depression figure out what is wrong with my reproductive system it is causing me pain 
it started to swell a lot. I started to barf uncontrollably all over the place. And um, like it just consistently got worse. My health got worse. And I luckily I had two very close people in my life. One of them, my parents' friends, one of them, my friends. Um, they were both endometriosis um, warriors or whatever. They, they both have endometriosis. And they were like, oh, this sounds exactly like that. Get your uterus yanked out. I'm like, <laughs> I, don't, I, can't even, I can't even get the doctors to tell me that I have endometriosis. Now you're telling right. me I have endometriosis and you're telling me to yank my baby maker out <laughs> and I'm not even 30 and I'm divorced. Like, no, you can't do that. That's not your place to tell me that. And right. so it was a huge struggle. And when somebody tells me, no, I don't like it. Um, and when I am unhappy, my family is unhappy. So my mother was like, okay we need to deal with this and we're going to deal with this head on just like you've dealt with everything. So we made a spreadsheet and I started to track every single symptom. I had almost 30 columns on Excel with everything from bleeding, swelling, pain in the morning, pain at night, pain during sex, rectal bleeding, what anything that came up, I wrote down and then I tracked on it daily. Then, because I'm a psycho, I took the different symptom groups and created graphs. Oh, nice. Median lines. Oh, I like it. Summaries. Okay. Right? Wow. Just a little type. I see, I would call it type A or dedicated. Oh, 100% type A personality, like to the extreme. But with that said, there was that that I brought, and I also bought brought an appointment journal that depicted every drug that I was on currently, every drug that they had given me when my start date, finish date, and bad things had happened, Mm -hmm. and then items I wanted to talk about and items that I wanted them to test for. Every single doctor's appointment, I came in with a copy for me, a copy for my mother, and a copy for the doctor, and I recorded it on my phone. And we wrote notes, and the doctors with an... I, I can't even remember. It was probably six months. My doctor's like, you're getting surgery. You have endometriosis. You probably have adenomyosis as well, but it, we're, you're not going to suffer anymore. Okay. And I was like, well, I was like ready. I was going in <laughs> ready to fight this guy. Like you scrape my uterus. You take it out. I don't give a shit what you do. Just right. fix me. Right. You know, I was missing one to two days of work a week. For over a year, I work in corporate now, so very different than entrepreneur. I have businesses on the side as well, but my corporate job is what pays for the roof over my head. And I absolutely love, love my job. I still deal with it from an entrepreneurial mindset, which mm-hmm. helps me succeed in that that area. Um, so I didn't like that. The guilt that I started to feel and that started to build through the, this illness was explosive. So when I finally got the surgery and they were like, okay, here's the disease. We cut it out. Here's what we left. This is why we left it. And it was like, oh my goodness. Cause I had pinpointed, I have pain in spot A, B, C, D. And I want you to tell me when you go in and you're looking at me with all these pictures, you tell me why I have pain there. Mm-hmm. And, and my doctor validated every single spot that I felt pain in with disease. Isn't and I was incredible. Isn't it? 
I was like, man, this means that I actually knew my stuff. Even though I look fine on the outside, mm -hmm. I know what I'm feeling and I voiced myself and I fought for that. Yep. And that was a, that's a huge thing I want to push now for my next set of books is that we are the only, we are the owners of our own body and we have one yeah. body. We need to take care of it there during this life. And if a guy in a white coat says, take this pill, you don't have to take it if it's not going to do good for you. Mm -hmm. Like I tried everything, everything they gave me, I tried. And then it gave me worse things in return. So I stopped and I went back. Right. How many poor women with endometriosis, adenomyosis, just stay on that pill because they think it's going to help because they don't know. And the only reason yeah. I knew was because I had people in my life harping on me about it. Right. So it forced me to do research. I'm lucky that I'm surrounded by a lot of people, but I know that that's not the reality. So sharing, even though I did cry on my 30th birthday, it was a huge realization that like, girl, you've been given this for a reason. Use your voice to help. So that's why I cried on my 30th birthday, but I'm about to turn 31 and I can guarantee you there will be zero crying this year. Yay. <laughs> So what was the end result of the surgery? So end result was that they had endometriosis on the back end of my uterus. So he cut that out. And I also have adenomyosis. So the disease is situated in the muscle wall of my uterus. So the outcome is painless, swelling less. All symptoms have kind of been reduced but nobody knows what the next, what's going to happen. It's, yeah. we found balance now. I still have medications that I have. I still have bad days, but they're far and few in between. Um, and then eventually when I get, or if I become pregnant, the symptoms could get worse, could get better, could present themselves differently, or it could just disappear. Um, if I don't have an opportunity to have children, then the, we do know that the disease could potentially grow back. It could yeah. morph, you know, like there's, it's kind of, it, there's so much mystery around endometriosis and yeah. adenomyosis. So it's turned my life into how can I control the, not uncontrollable, but how can I control the things that are controllable around me? So mm -hmm. I want to know what I can know about internal. So after my surgery, I started hot yoga again. I absolutely love it. But the heat and listening to inner healing heal from the inside out. I lie on the floor for 60 minutes. Don't move. Sometimes I cry because it hurts so bad. But like that's, that's healing for me. I see a homeopathy doctor. Mm -hmm. I have a Chinese medicine doctor. I do acupuncture, moxibuction, like ear point pressure thingies. I watch what I eat. If I look at my calendar and I have five nights planned, I call, I assess who's the least important or who's on the lowest of the totem pole. And I call them. I said, I can't, I can't, I will not be able to get to the most important things this week if we hang out when I, when this happens. So mm -hmm. it's, I, my life is very much preventative maintenance and balance now. When I do bad things to my body, my body revolts against me. And it's not just like a little hangover, it's a violent hangover. Or if it's a bad sleep, it's terrible for two days. You know, like right. I can barely open my eyes, I can barely walk. Like it's, and then it goes night and day. 
I was not able to move yesterday at all for 24 hours. I struggled to walk to the beach, like, and that sounds sad. I struggled to walk to the tropical beach. Well, if you're going to be with a tropical <laughs> beach, you don't want to struggle to get there. I want to be I'm on like that beach. I want to walk. Yeah. It's a tropical <laughs> beach for Christ's sake. <laughs> my mom's like, you want the bag? I'm like, you take the bag. Like just my body weight is enough today. <laughs> you take a drug cocktail last night and I wake up at six o'clock, seven o'clock this morning, put my stuff on and I went for a run. And then I went and did yoga on the beach. And then I played yep. in the water for an hour today. And I drank cocktails today, a lot of water as well. But, you know, it's just, it's, you go from zero to 100 within a 24-hour period of time. And that's just the way life is. It's not that I'm faking it or making it up or exaggerating. God, if I could feel half of 0%, I would. I don't like right. being comatose. You know, I went from preparing for a marathon, running four or five times a week, going to the gym a second time a day to do weights and lift. I love being active. It's also good for your mind. Yes. My mind anyways. And I had to halt. I stopped. I couldn't. And so now I'm stagnant. I'm stuck right. in my house two to three times a week by myself and violently ill. Like I can't tell yeah. you the number of times my I gave keys to all my friends mm -hmm. and I said, you all need to just come check on me. And the amount of times they found me on the floor, just, what are you doing? Like, I can't move. Like, are you okay? Just leave me here. How long have you been here? Oh, like three hours. <laughs> okay, let's bring you to bed. So, <laughs> move you somewhere. <laughs> yeah, let's get you up off the floor. Do you want to put clothes on? Nope. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Clearly no not. No clothes. Okay, that's, clothes are restricting. They <laughs> so, are restricting, yes. Right? So it was... The last year, well, I guess 28 and a half, all the way, sorry, 29 and into 30 was uh, really emotionally turmoil for, but just for me. So out of all of that, going through everything, I'm like, man, I'm the sick one here. I'm not the caregiver with the sick one. Like, and I get to choose what kind of patient I'm going to be. Right. And that was an empowering feeling. And the only way that it became empowering was because of what I had to do with my ex-husband. Yep. Right. I had to go through all of that in order to be the A-type personality with the checklists and the Excel spreadsheets and this and that. I got a diagnosis in 18 months. The average diagnosis for endometriosis takes a woman seven years. <sighs> seven years to 18 months. So... I'm like, man, like that has to count for something. So yeah, yeah, it does because you were aggressively pursuing what you knew to be, well, not even that you knew the diagnosis was specifically going to be the diagnosis, but you knew to be true about your body and people were saying, we don't know. We don't know. I mean, yes, I have a daughter who's 28 that same, same thing. She's had two uterine ablations to try to, it's just a really, really, really tough thing. So being true to yourself and being an advocate for yourself and being preventative, especially mm -hmm. once you know the animal that you're dealing with, means that your life can be like normal as much as possible. It's your new normal. It is. It is a new normal. But everybody's normal is super different. Weird and up right. Anyways, right? And it's like 
so what if I'm really tired, I fall asleep kind of sitting up at the table or I have to take a cocktail of meds once a month just so I can sleep without violently dry heaving or in pain that makes me want to cry or rip my parts out. Like, right. Shucks, I have to do that once a month now. But again, it's, it's that balance that you work for and, and everybody's balance is going to fluctuate. Life yeah. is like, um, it's like a pendulum or one of those games is with all the holes and it's like amazing. You have to keep the ball from falling yeah. in the hole, you know, in each hole, it represents a different potential problem that could happen or something that could tailspin. So it's balancing your life to keep the balls away from the deep, dark holes. Yeah. You, know, you never know which one's going to come up right underneath you, but you have to be aware of it and try to be five, a step ahead of it. Of course, things happen in life can't be perfect all the time but if you're open and accepting to it then the blow is a little less hard you're wrapping up the interview on your own by giving this last <laughs> which is awesome you're like doing my job it's perfect you oh, learned <laughs> yeah thanks i'm just gonna sit back um you learned early on that writing made a big difference and coming up with characters where you could really dig in and use your experience and other people's experience made a difference. So what kind of advice you've become this author that's got a publicist and you're talking about your next set of books and that's a really big deal. So I'm proud of you. And, um, I, I love that. What advice would you give to people? You've gone through some really dynamically, different traumas like you didn't just stick to one one or Baskin two robins you gotta try Baskin, when i said that i meant <laughs> we're talking about sex <laughs> <laughs> i know what we're talking about sex but like you know yeah you're like way. i'll do it in all parts of my the life trauma, the trauma <laughs> flavors didn't like them very much yeah. i don't know <laughs> What would you tell other people who are experiencing their own traumas and really having a hard time sucking in? What about the writing process was cathartic to you to help get you through that? Well, putting it out on paper simply, like as simple as that, writing it out is super, super healing. One, we have millions of thoughts going through our mind every single day. And when you put it on paper, one thought can only come out at once. Our fingers don't type that fast. Our hands don't write that fast, you know? So it's putting that one thought at a time, even if it's a half a thought, it's still, you're putting that out on paper and you're literally getting it out of your body. It's like when you're hungover, you need to throw it all up. <laughs> verbal diarrhea on the page exactly <laughs> Landon, thank you so much for sharing with me today what a crazy fun ride and now that i get to read your so books fun. oh yeah i get to finish and leave reviews gonna, yeah oh my goodness i would be so appreciative if you did see people people who are who have any kind of like podcast or blog or business or anything it's like the review is that's like mm. crack it's huge it's huge that's why we booked this resort man was because of the reviews like the reviews were it's beautiful and it's like extraordinary luxurious extraordinarily luxurious yes. Yes. like and it is it is so wonderful and it's very romantic like there's a lot of couples here but there's it's not all couples you know there's a lot of mom and daughters or sons and 
dads or, or you know families it is adults only but it, there's there's a whole bunch of different dynamic groups here and everybody's super friendly and from around the world like my neighbors speak german and the only thing i knew in german was a bad i love you and i said it to them and she was like oh and she blew me kisses <laughs> and it was based on the reviews exactly so leave reviews yeah. Thank you so much for being on. It was a Thank blast. Thank you, Jen, for having me. I'm very, very appreciative of our time.